We're in this series called One Week to Live. And uh, through this series, we're talking about the last week of the life of Christ, leading up until his eventual death, crucifixion, and his resurrection. And last week, we started by talking about the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And now from Sunday, then we go into the day of Monday and really what took place in the life of Christ the Monday before he died. And really, there's only two main things that stand out in, in, in Monday during that particular day. And one is a story where Jesus cleansed the temple. Uh, the temple was the place where during Passover, all of the people came to worship. And they didn't have all the supplies, so they came and they exchanged money and they actually bought uh, items to sacrifice or animals to sacrifice. And on this particular occasion, there was a problem because a lot of the money exchangers and some of the people who were selling things were making it very difficult for common people to actually go and worship. It wasn't that they were selling things or exchanging money. It was that they were kind of extorting money, raising prices, gouging, those kinds of things. So much so that it made the common person, it made, him, it, made it very difficult for them to worship. So Jesus comes in and basically cleans them out and fights for their ability to worship. And one of the lessons we can take is that Jesus cares so much about your worship that he is willing to fight for you to, to be able to worship freely. Now, that's not what we're talking about. That That's a freebie for you this morning. But another element that happened was kind of a little different uh, element or event that took place during Monday. Jesus uh, and his disciples after this are kind of walking along, and it's still in the morning. And it comes from Matthew chapter 21. And it's this interesting story about one of the miracles that took place. And it says, early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. To me, this is kind of a strange miracle. Most of Jesus' miracles were in, in giving life to somebody or something or doing something that's extremely positive. And yet here you get the scene where these disciples have come along. Jesus' stomach is growling and he looks for some fig trees and he looks for some fruit and there's nothing there. And so he curses the tree. Now, if this was an orange tree, I think we would know what he was talking about. But for us, a fig tree is something that we're not familiar with. Uh, I talked to the couple people in the office, none of them really knew what a fig tree was. In fact, if we were honest, when we think about fig trees, this is what we think about, or figs, this is what we think about. <laughs> Honestly, who did, who, who, that came to your mind when we talk about a fig. We all know what fig newtons are. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, this was the healthy snack, all right? <laughs> you go to lunch, you take out your Funyuns, your fruit roll-up, your RC cola wrapped in tinfoil, and it was all good because you had the healthy fig newtons at the end. Uh, it just was what we think about. The interesting thing about fig newtons, I looked on the ingredients and I can't find the word fig. I don't know why, but there's no figs in there. So when you think of Jesus in this miracle, do not think of fig newtons. All right. Now, most of us don't know what a fig tree looks like, but this is what a fig tree looks like. It looks like a tree. Okay. Now on the left side though, you see the leaves and the fruit coming down. And uh, during this time when the disciples were walking along, Jesus is getting hungry. He sees this tree. He looks in because the leaves are out, which show that it was about to produce some fruit, I guess. And he looks at it and there's no fruit. So he curses the tree and the tree withers and dies. Now it's just kind of bizarre because first of all, it wasn't the time of the year for the tree to actually produce fruit. But Jesus curses it anyway, and he withers this thing up. It just is very strange, because usually Jesus' miracles, like I said, they bring life to a situation. They're very positive, but not this one. I'm hungry, there's no fruit, you're dead. That's it. I mean, that's what happened. 
And so the disciples, you can imagine what they're doing here. They're walking around. And they're like, wow, what's going on here? And now they've been with Jesus for three years up to this point. And every time Jesus has done a miracle or told a parable or a story, he's always kind of said, hey, let me tell you what this meant. Let me tell you what the meaning of this story is. Or let me tell you what the meaning of this miracle was. And he'd go into a wonderful story and the guys would be like, oh, wow, that really makes sense. So you'd think during this time, Jesus comes and he kills this, withers this tree. You would think they'd be saying, hey, Matthew, what do you think this one means? Well, I don't know, John. What do you think, James? I don't know, but this is going to be good. What does this mean, Jesus? No, they didn't do any of that. They're like, that was awesome, Jesus. I want to kill a tree too. I mean, this is their response. It's not anything really spiritual per se. It's more or less, how'd you do that? How did you kill a tree? I mean, that, that's kind of the response. Look at, look at, as we continue on, I got a loose translation there. But uh, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. Uh, in the Greek, that's translated, that was awesome. Um, they said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you, will, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. So it's almost like the, the, the disciples kind of take this in a different direction. In fact, if you were to read commentaries or, or people kind of uh, to understand a little bit about what that miracle meant, a lot of what you'll read about, well, we think this is what it means, or we think this is what Jesus was trying to do, because Jesus never said it. He never said, the reason I withered this fig tree was because of this. He never says that. So we don't even know really why he did this other than the fact of now the disciples take it and are stuck not so much with why he did it, but they're really just taken back that he could actually do this. And they're like, this is really cool. We're amazed that you could make this thing wither so quickly. So then Jesus then kind of takes the situation and then talks a little bit about something that is related, but may not be the reason he withered the fig tree. He says to them, he says, basically, listen, if you have faith, you can do the same thing I did to this tree. But even beyond that, what you could do is you see this mountain out here? You could say to this mountain, mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it will actually throw itself in the sea. And anything you ask about in prayer will be given. And he says that. Now, we got this strange miracle going on, which is okay. I mean, I don't really understand it totally, but that's okay. If Jesus wants to wither a fig tree, he made the fig tree in the first place. He can wither the fig tree. What I'm more concerned about is this last part about what Jesus says. Because what I take from this is very clear. Jesus says, if you ask for anything in prayer, you'll receive it. Now, here's the crossroads that I kind of find, is that when I find in my life that I'm going along and I read what Jesus says, I mean, this is literally what Jesus said. This is in the red ink in your Bible. This is Jesus' words. This isn't a paraphrase. This is what Jesus said. So in my life, when I look out and I see a bunch of mountains, a bunch of issues, a bunch of struggles that I've been dealing with or I've been fighting against, and I read a verse like this, it's very clear to me to say, hey, Jesus, I am praying, I am petitioning you that this issue or this mountain will get up and throw itself in the sea and never to be seen again, and I expect it should be happening. But the problem is, is sometimes when I get to that point, I look out and the mountain is still there. It's the struggle of understanding why certain things don't get answered in my life. 
even though I think and I feel that I'm doing the right thing. It's the struggle of unanswered petitions or unanswered prayer where I think I'm doing the right thing. I think my, my, my agendas are clear. I'm doing this out of good reasoning. I'm trying to do the right thing. And yet I feel like this is just a constant, constant struggle. And every day, every week, every month, every year, I'm coming face to face with this mountain over and over again. And the struggle is not just that it's there, but Jesus said, if I have faith, then this mountain will get itself up and will be thrown into the sea. But every day of my life, I'm getting up and I am faced with this issue. Now, I think in this congregation, I think every one of us, if we're honest, have come face to face with this crossroad of wondering why in the world do some things get answered and some things don't get answered? Why do some prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceilings and we're getting nowhere? It's the struggle many of us face. And if it doesn't go unchecked, what happened is we make the jump from an unanswered prayer to where we start to question ourselves in this manner. We start to wonder, is there something wrong with me? I mean, why doesn't God love me? Or why doesn't God answer my prayer? There must be something wrong with me. And eventually what happens is there's a wedge that comes between us and God because we feel like we're doing the right thing, but it's not getting anywhere. And eventually we go down this cycle and this road that makes us think that there is something wrong with me, or that somehow God doesn't love me like he loves everybody else, or somehow I'm not doing the right thing, or something here or something there. And before long, our relationship with Jesus Christ is at such a struggle because of this perplexity of unanswered prayer. And again, if we're all honest, I think at some point we would, be, we would all get to the point where we agree that we've had these questions in our lives. What do we do with this perplexing question against the face of reality of what the scripture says? And it just doesn't say it here. There's other places in scripture that back this up. That say, if you pray this and you have faith, then this is going to happen. But it's not happening. C.S. Lewis once said, he said, every Every war, every plague, every famine, and just about every deathbed is a monument to the perplexity of an unanswered petition. I mean, we all struggle with this. Why is God not hearing my prayer? Now, when I was growing up, I I used to hear how God would answer prayers in one of three ways. He would either say yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. Well, God, what are you doing? Well, yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. You know, it sounds nice. But I'm a little bit more emotionally connected to my petitions than just to hand me a list that says yes, no, or wait. I mean, if you're in a relationship uh, with your spouse and they ask you something and you answer, well, it's going to be one of three things. It's either going to be yes, no, or wait. How's that going to work for you? You see, this is a relationship. This isn't just a a list that says, just deal with it. This is a relationship that I'm in with God. And when God tells me something and I talk back to God and have this dialogue back and forth, it just doesn't work like that as far as my spiritual journey. Now we can go a little further and just ask about these questions. Why does God say no? Or why why is there no answer? You know, there are legitimate things that come into play. Things such as maybe God does answer the prayer, but we're just not seeing it. Maybe there's sin involved where we can't hear it because we're blinded by what's going on in our own lives. 
Maybe there's questions that have to do with, is this really the best scenario for me? Or will it adversely affect me? Or maybe it will adversely affect others if we get what we're asking for. Sometimes they're just, uh, there's complexities where they, they, just, they just don't work together. Like, God, give me some patience, but do it quickly. I mean, things like this, they, they just come into play. But again, again, that, that seems so distant from a relationship. I mean, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't deal like that with relationship. We are much more emotionally connected to requests and, and petitions to where it's not so much a hard line to say, this is just the way it is. And in our personal journeys, in our journey with Jesus Christ and with God through the person of Jesus Christ, for many of us, we are trying to understand how do we get through this? How do we deal with the mountains that are in front of us? And when they're not answered like we want them to be answered, and we we struggle with that, how do we get to the point where this does not cause a huge wedge between us and God? That's the struggle. That's the crossroad we, we, we get into play in when we deal with the things like this. So let me take it just a little step further. Let me just dialogue a little bit and talk about the relational side of this and and how maybe this can, we can move even through this. Now let me say two things before I really get into this. And the first thing is you're not going to like what I say, okay? You're just not going to like it. I mean, because let's face it, anything difficult, we just don't like. We don't like difficulty. And when we feel a little uncomfortable, when we find ourselves in struggles, we have a tendency to back up a little bit. The other thing I want to mention is that I am no way trying to trivialize the mountains that are in your life or the issues or the struggles that you face. We all have issues. We all have struggles. And in no way do I want to come across as those, those are trivial. Those are things that really shouldn't matter. Those are things that we should, really shouldn't be bothering. God created us with emotions. God created us with all sorts of things that allow our issues to really grab hold of us. So I don't want to trivialize it in the point where you just think I'm just saying, well, just, just deal with it, because that's not the issue at all. But we have legitimate issues, and we have legitimate concerns, and we have a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we take all of this and work it together? So let me just start off and get it all out there at the, with the, at the, at the, at the beginning by saying really to find the strength to deal with this question, to really find the strength, it comes to the point where we have to have an ability to accept it and allow God to transform. Allow God to transform it through our acceptance. There's got to be a place within us to understand what it means to accept God and to allow God then to transform us, to transform the situation, to deal with the situation. Now, this is, this is a tough thing for us to do, to learn how to accept something. And all throughout Scripture, you can, you can read about situations such as this. You're not alone, all right? You're not alone. There's not a problem with you if you have an issue where you don't know what God is doing in your life and you've petitioned and it's not working. You're not alone. Let me give you one guy from from Scripture. It's the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, many of us recognize his name. He wrote most of the New Testament. We get a lot of our theological understanding, a lot of our spiritual growth from this guy. Because this guy is just one of those, when you think of spiritual hierarchy, even though we don't, when you think of it, you think of Jesus up here, and then pretty much right behind him is going to be the Apostle Paul. The evangelist who took the message of Jesus Christ and was persecuted, persecuted over and over for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. So when we come to his journey in life, he comes to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
where he comes before God and literally petitions God. He says, God, listen, I have this, what he called a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if it was, if it was health-related. We don't know if it was relationally related. We don't know if it's spiritual, if it's financial, whatever it was. Needless to say, it was what he termed a thorn in the flesh. One thing we don't know, it was not a literal thorn in the flesh where he could just take it out. This is something, figuratively speaking, that he looked upon as something that was so inhibiting to his ministry. So much so that he went before God and on multiple occasions, multiple occasions say, hey God, listen, I'm trying to do the right thing. I am trying to work for you. I'm trying to share the message, but I have this mountain. I have this mountain that I am asking to take. I have faith in you to take and move it into the sea. And you know what God's response was? No. Now, if I'm God, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, hey, Paul, you're awesome. You're on my team. Anything you need, buddy, anything you need. Thorn in the flesh, let me take care of it. Boom, you're good. That would be me. But yet God comes to him, even though he's petitioned, even though he has asked, even though he is doing the right thing, even though he is working for God, and yet the response from God is, no. Take another figure. Let's go to Jesus himself. Jesus, a little later in the week, we'll get to this a little later, but Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's going to happen here very soon. It's not just that he is going to be executed. It's not just that he's going to be crucified and lose his life. But Jesus Christ is going to take the weight of the sin, punishment, of all of us and all of humanity upon his shoulders, and he is going to bear that burden. He knows it's coming. The Bible talks about why he was praying his sweat became as drops of blood. It was such an intense time for him. You talk about petitioning. I mean, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of petitioning. And he comes before God, his father, and asks him in his words, he says, if there is any way, any way at all that you could take this cup from me. Those were his words. If there is any way that we could figure this out so I don't have to take this burden upon me, can we please do this? And God's response is, no. This is his son. I mean, this is his son. This isn't like some guy. We look at that. We think, well, he had to take the burden, the sins of the world. It wasn't just about that. This is his son. I mean, I think to myself, all right, I'm God. I can figure another way out of this. I can figure out how to do this without having my son to take the sin of the world upon him and go into the depths of hell. And yet this petition from Jesus Christ himself where he takes it before God and asks him, can you please, please take this cup? If there's any way, can you take this mountain and throw it into the sea? And yet it's, the answer was no. You see, this is the struggle we find. The struggle in coming to this crossroad where God says No. And we're trying to understand what, what really is going on. How is it that we can continue and we can continue to understand more of God and who he is? I mean, how do we go forward? What's the key to all this? How do we, how do we really grab hold of something? Something. 
Well, honestly, I think the answer is really in what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 21. When he told his disciples, he said to him, if you have faith, if you have faith, you can say to this fig tree, wither and it'll wither, or you can say to this mountain, go into the sea and it'll get up into the sea, if you have faith. Now, a lot of times, here's where we kind of get off, I think, because we think of faith in terms of, well, I believe God can do it. I believe God can do this. We have faith in God and his ability to handle any situation, whether it's a fig tree or a mountain, whether it's financial, health, anything. We believe that God could do it. Well, I would like to suggest that, that the, the disciples really didn't have a faith problem in God's ability or Jesus' ability to do this. I mean, they had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen him do all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, he raised a guy from the dead who was dead for four days. You would think if he could bring someone back to life, he could easily kill a fig tree. I don't think the faith is about the question of whether or not God can do something. And that's a lot of times the way we, where we get caught. I believe that God can do this. I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can provide. I believe that God can do this. Well, yeah, God can do anything. He created all this stuff. I don't think the question is of faith whether or not God can. I think the question of faith comes into our relationship with him when we have to have the faith that God has our best interests at heart. That's where the struggle comes in. Because when we believe that God does or does not have our best interests at heart, that's where we struggle. Because if you look at the Apostle Paul and you look at Jesus, they didn't stay in this area of just going through life, always burdened down by this mountain. In fact, later the Apostle Paul talked about how he boasted in what happened. About how this was one of the most glorious things that took place in his life. And how that God's mercy and God's grace and God's power was seen through that. You see, I would like to suggest that because Paul had the faith in God, that God had his best interest at heart and loved him incomprehensibly, that his love and his faith in God allowed him to take a different perspective on what was the issue at, at, at hand. So much so that that mountain, which was once so overwhelming in comparison to the backdrop of how much God loved him, almost some, seemed to dwindle in the distance. Again, I don't want to trivialize anything. I don't want to make light of anything in our lives. But the truth is, do we believe, do we believe that God himself has our best interests at heart? Is he looking out for us? Is he coming through for us? Is he the strength we need? Because if we don't have that faith, all we are going to see is a mountain killing us over and over and over every day of our life. And it's a struggle and it's a fight that we never seem to win. So last Sunday, I, I, it was a beautiful day. Do you remember last Sunday? It was before winter hit. <laughs> yeah, thank God winter's over. So I said to my daughter, I said, Andy, let's go for a bike ride. We live in Safety Harbor, so we like to take rides down to the marina, ride around the water. So we were down there for a little bit. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's go home. And she's like, okay. She's like, which way are we going? I'm like, we're going this way. And she's like, I don't want to go that way. I'm like, why don't you want to go? There's that big hill. I'm like, we live in Safety Harbor. 
I, the only hill I know is the Indian Mound. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of any big hills. She's like, I, I don't know if I can make the hill. I said, so I said to her, I said, listen, trust me. It'll be okay. She's like, okay. So we're riding along, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm riding. I'm like, this girl has no clue. I mean, I've, I've seen mountains. I don't think she's ever seen a mountain. I don't think she's ever seen a hill. I mean, I've been, I've been out to Colorado. I've seen, I've seen uh, you know, big, big mountaintops. I mean, panoramic, just mountains everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, she needs to understand what I've seen. She needs to trust me a little bit. So we're, we're going along, and we, we head up north on uh, Philippi Parkway across that bridge. And I'm like, I said to her, I said, where's that mountain? She said, oh, we just, or where's that hill? She's like, oh, we just, we just passed it. Like, you didn't even notice, did you? Well, not really. Not really. See, here's not what we don't like. Here's what we don't like. You see, we understand God, and we understand that God is for us. But how much faith do we have in the light of a mountain that is stressing us out? How much faith do we have when God says to us, trust me, it will be okay. How much faith do we really have? But friends, when we look at our mountains, when we struggle, you've got to understand that there is not a mountain that we have dealt with. There is not a struggle that we have, not, that we have gone through. There's not an issue that we have not fought against that God himself, the person of Jesus Christ, has not dealt with. The mountains that Jesus Christ has gone through and dealt with and, de- and, and gone through literally going to hell and breaking that barrier for us, for loving us so incredibly much that he was willing to lay down his life for us. He has promised us so much in this life and in the life to come. And every mountain that we face in the backdrop against the, the immense love that he has for us. In the fact that we can go through life and understand that there is a God who loves us that is so incomprehensible that we can't do anything that makes him love us more. We can't do anything that makes him love us less. And friends, the more we get in touch, the more we understand how much he cares for us, how much he loves us, how much he invites us to come over to where he is, not from a standpoint of saying, God, just rescue me from this. Just get me out of this. Just get this out of my life. Get this mountain out of here. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And while God is saying, no, this is a relationship. You need to come over to my side. You need to allow me. You need to trust me. You need to come with me. You need to see that from my vantage point, everything that looks so overwhelming to you, everything that looks so deadening to you, that looks so oppressive to you, everything there from my standpoint, it will be okay. And when we come over to his side, and we trust fully in who he is and what he has done. And we look at our mountain against the backdrop of that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, that which we seem so overwhelming has somehow got up and it's gone into the sea. Not because of what he did. Not because we have def- we've just ignored it. But because God and the relationship we have had with him has allowed us to see things, to trust in him in a way that has taken the mountain and has thrown it into the sea. 
I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I know a lot of you right now, you're in the middle of a fight. Some of you right now are struggling. You've been in this fight for days. Some of you have been in this fight for weeks, for months, for years. Every day in your life, when you get out and you look at the panoramic view of your life, all you can see are mountains. All you can see are jagged rocks and struggles. And you don't know how in the world you're going to get out of it. And you struggle because you feel like you're praying. You feel like you're saying over and over, God, please, please, please take this mountain and throw it into the sea. And what you see all the time, all the time is just mountains, mountains, mountains. And all God is saying to you, trust me, it's going to be okay. You see, all these mountains that we struggle with, we're no different than the Apostle Paul. He went through this petitioning God, maybe like you petitioned him over and over again, and yet it felt like nothing. But if you look at the result of Paul's life, Paul confidently could say, you know what? I count it joy when I find myself in weaknesses when I find myself in insults or difficulties or hardships or persecutions, all of that allows me to understand how strong God is in my life, how much he loves me and how much he wants to empower me. Because Paul went on to say, when I am weak, when I am weak, then I am strong. 